Hey guys, welcome back to this week's podcast. We hope this week's message inspires you and encourages you. Be sure to check out our website to find out more about us. Here's today's message. She needs to hear this. Come on, like be honest. Let's get a show of hands. Who here has ever thought, I just hope someone else is listening? Yeah. Who, who's never thought that in their life? Most of us know it, um, awake my heart. Like this church, Mill Park Baptist Church, where we are today. You know, it's been here, in October, it'll be 34 years. But we reckon probably that the last 12 months, so the, the 34th year, it's probably been the hardest year in our history. And I'm not really sure that you could find someone, you, you, you could find a number of theories and, and people who would say, but, but someone who really knows, who would be able to tell you properly just what the problem exactly has been for the last 12 months. Or how it got started. Or why it escalated. Or where it ended up. Here, you know, this morning and for these next few weeks, can I suggest to you, like, maybe right now the answers to those questions aren't quite so important. What is helpful? What we do know, what we are sure of, sitting here this morning, is that God loves every single one of us. He loves you. He loves me. He loves our church. And you know what? So that means that regardless of the problems or the reasons or the explanations and the whys and the wherefores and the hows and the where-tos, that God actually just, like, He wants good for us. He wants us breathing again, resting, letting down our guard. And you know what? Most of all, He wants us gratefully getting on with our mission. So that's Awake My Heart. This is not intended for the next few weeks to be some sort of a, a, you know, a fix it all or a sweep it all under the carpet or a forget it ever happened or a stoic move on. Just some time, as Tash said earlier, to reflect and to ponder. And then together, it's really powerful when we do it together to listen and to learn and to breathe again. And when we're talking in these few weeks about the ministries who need people, we're really aware too, and we said this just a couple of weeks ago, um, it's a very common phenomenon. Uh, Every pastor who I know at the moment, who I've spoken to in the last several months, and especially since our time with COVID, it's a common phenomenon that volunteerism in society has dropped. It's dropped massively since COVID. And churches everywhere are feeling it as well. Our level as people of how much we volunteer and do and serve, it's it's dramatically dropped. And we're feeling that here in the church as well, at Mill Park Baptist Church. But we're not the only church to feel it. Um, And as I said a couple of weeks ago, as churches, I know some pastors of very big churches and very small churches, churches of all different sorts of churches who are feeling it. And so that's why we're talking about that as well. 
And it's also part of our situation. So as we breathe again, as we move again, to realise that the body of Christ, it only works when the people who are part of the body of Christ are participating to help it work. So I reckon if I just gave you that little explanation about where we're at, I think you'd save it, yeah. You want some breath back? You want some, you want some goodness of God? And, and I bet you you'd say that. So just come for a walk with me for a few minutes and just see what God says to you this morning. And then try if you can. And, and right now, we'll just pray for a moment. Um, when you pray, you could ask the Holy Spirit to help you as well. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. Firstly, let me pray. Holy Spirit, we, we ask you just to, just to speak to us now. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't want anything else other than that. We'd love you to speak to us. You speak truth. You speak power. You speak love. You speak restoration. You speak beauty. So we... We long for you to listen to us. We long to listen for you as you speak to us. And then I'll just give you a moment just to, just to pray in the quietness and to ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And, and it may be, this can happen anytime. It really can. Um, but it, it may happen in the circumstances just now. Like it may be that I'm a distraction. You know, Jeff Shepherd is a distraction for you. I'm the guy that's speaking right at the moment. And so that makes it hard for you to listen. And, and I get that. I understand that. So if that is the case, maybe just ask the Holy Spirit to help you with that. And just say, look, could we put Jeff aside and could I just listen to you? So thank you, Lord, that you've heard all those prayers. Thank you. Well, if you take even a cursory, just a surface look at Jesus, you'll, you'll find a man with many things about him, but, but the most amazing expression of grace. Right? Philip Yancey, I mean, you heard of him, got a lot to say, he's an author, but it, he's one of those authors and it tends to, everything that he says centers around one or two main themes, and one of them is the grace of God. And he tells this story, it's the same story, but he actually uses it in two different books. It's in The Jesus I Never Knew and What's So Amazing About Grace. And it's a story that's, this started happening again with our microphone. Hopefully it's going to be okay. It's not. Just give us a second, let's get this sorted. We're going to have to get this worked out. We don't know what the problem is, but we'll turn this one off.
here's the story that Philip Yancey tells. It's uh, told by his friend, who was at the time working with the Down and Out in Chicago. It says this, a prostitute came to me, and it's a confronting story. It says, a prostitute came to me in wretched straits. She was homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me that she had been, and it, it goes in and, and talks about the fact that she'd been, she could make more money renting her daughter out than she could for herself. Um, I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story, he said. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse and I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. Just asked if she'd ever thought of going to a church for help. And I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried, why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They'd just make me feel worse. But if you read the Bible, women like this prostitute, they, they ran towards Jesus, not away from him. The worse a person felt about herself, the more likely she would see Jesus as a refuge. And somewhere along the way, don't you think, we Christians got a little bit sidetracked on this issue of grace. And not just giving grace to outsiders, but grace to ourselves as well. A pastor once said, I've often thought that if I was to fall into a trespass, he calls it a sin, you know, a fall down. If I was to fall into a trespass, I would pray that I don't fall into the hands of those critical judges in the church. I'd rather fall into the hands of barkeepers and street walkers and dope peddlers. Because church people would tear me apart, he said, with their long wagging, gossiping tongues. They would cut me to shreds. You see, Christians, friends, and churches, they've developed a reputation over the years. And it's a reputation as being big and bold and self-righteously outspoken against those people who sin. And sin when they're talking about sin, actually ends up being a pretty broad category too. What's sin, what's not? Now David Siemens, the counsellor, he sums it up like this. Many years ago, he says, I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians, that's us, mainstream Christians, just like Mill Park Baptist Church, among evangelical Christians are these. Two problems. One, the failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace and forgiveness. And two, the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. He said, we read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated to the level, the level of our emotions. And Shakespeare said it too. He said, oh, momentary grace of mortal man. 
which we more hunt for than the grace of God. Now, in the midst of all that's happened around our church, and it's happened in our lives too, away from the church, and it's happened in other churches and places. So in the midst of all that's happened, and in the midst of your knowledge or experience of it, and, and some of you may have a really deep experience of it, some of it may be shallow, some of, some of you, it hasn't touched you at all. I wonder how you feel. In particular, if we start talking there about grace, you know it. I, you're sure of it, aren't you? And, and, and just, just like I would naturally be as well, we start talking about this thinking, um, he, he sinned. She hurt me. They, they screwed up. What do we do when this happens? There's a little passage in the Bible we want to take a look at this morning that talks pretty directly about this. It's in Galatians. starts in chapter 5, goes into chapter 6. Let me read it to you. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. My friends, Paul's writing, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And in this way, in other words, by bearing one another's burdens, by doing that, in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work, then that work, rather than their neighbour's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. So, Paul, right there, if you look back, Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 25, so right before these verses, in his letter, he's given a description, and he's, he's contrasted the way that the flesh lives. So I just told you about the way that my flesh lives. Strong sense of justice for me, that's the flesh, that's the natural me. The flesh, just the natural us, the way we are. He's given a contrast between the way the flesh lives compared with or contrasted with the way the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God leads. So the way the flesh lives, the way the Spirit leads. And in any church situation, just as in any other situation, but apply this into our church situation, there are always two ways. Now say for me, I'm a pastor, I'm a leader. There are always two distinct ways for me to behave. And it's just as true for you. Two ways for me to behave, two ways for me to speak, think, and even to lead. One of those is a flesh way. And one of those is a spirit way. They're contrasts. They're not the same. And they're really different. Paul's writing that. He's really realistic. He knows, and so do we, 
you don't know me to tell you. You don't need me to tell you that churches are full. Sorry to disappoint you, but they're full of imperfect people. If they're full of people, like look around right now. There's not an, there's not a perfect person among us. And that means if they're full of people, they're full of problems, and they're full of, as we said, imperfect, broken sinners. It's as simple as this. The church equals sinners, and that means that there will be sin. If sinners are there, they're going to sin. And the, 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 the Greek language uses different words for sin. And we have this concept of sin as being the naughty, naughty things. You know, like the, the, the really bad things. But the word usually then fans out to mean even more. And so it means things like our weaknesses, our annoyances, our disagreements. Now the truth is the truth. You're in a church right now. You're in a church. It is a community of God's people. And facts are facts, friends. There will be sin in the church. There will be annoyances and weaknesses and disagreements in the church. Absolute fact. There will be decisions that you do not agree with. There will be factors that you do not know about. And same for me. And you know what? There'll be leaders, and one of them might be right here right now talking to you, who you don't like, whose style's great against you. There'll be dynamics and there'll be vibes that you're just not sure of. You'll see it and you'll feel it. And you'll have people tell you what they saw and what they felt. And all along, you'll be amongst a group of people who are like, hopefully, even with all that happening, hopefully, they're actually trying to live by the Spirit. But they're stumbling along the way. So what should your attitude be in the midst of that? He answers that question here. The attitude that we should have, it's in verse 26 of chapter 5. In light of what's been said, he said it, remember we just said verses 19 to 25. In light of that, here's God's word. He says, let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. Look at your own lives, he says. Stop boasting. Stop putting yourselves on a higher level than others. Stop provoking arguments. Stop being envious of one another. Do you know what Paul's getting at here? He, because he's talked about walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. But he knows that when people really start trying hard to do that, let the Holy Spirit lead them, the insidious part of that is that they can easily start to think more highly of themselves. We often just call it self-righteousness, don't we? So the pursuit of this, I really want to be a good person, I really want to be a right person, and it's a noble pursuit, it's a really good one, but the downside of it or the dark side of it or the insidious side of it 
is that that can easily then produce this sense of I'm better than someone else. And before I know it, I'm actually trying to be good and trying to be righteous and trying to be holy for my sake because I'm competing against others. And then if you're doing the same thing, you're competing against me, we're now competing against each other. But that's not what it's all about. So in cold language, that verse 26, you know what it means? It says, when you, with all your brothers and sisters in your church, you're seeking to live by the Spirit, don't get lost on the focus of it. The focus of it, sorry. Um, Don't get mixed up. It's about pleasing God. It's not about competing against each other. So with that, what would be the attitude that you have or that I have when we're in a church? You know, we said it's full of these imperfect people. So church equals sinners, that leads men to sin. <laughs> so would you have an attitude of shock and horror? You know, absolute shock. When, when you see sin or you see some sort of annoyance or disturbance or disagreement, absolute shock, I can't believe it. No, actually, it should be realistic acceptance, hey? It's not this cynical expectation that hopes that people do, you know, screw up or sin or whatever. But just this recognition that people do sin. And, and this recognition, if, if it's Jeff that's thinking about this, this recognition that I sin. People do annoy each other. Each other. Do you know, they, they, I, I don't know, there's, there's one leader on the face of the earth, be they pastors, politicians, whoever they, I don't think there's one leader on the face of the earth whose style everyone agrees with. Just normal. I'm sure we have angst and anxiety. Stressed out, going grey overnight, all in turmoil because people in the church are annoying each other. Although God says you should be experiencing peace in order. It's God. I mean, God's God. It's His church. And people are people. I'm not, I'm not advocating that we don't care about these things, but, but hey, God's, God's in charge. And so people sin and people annoy us and people disagree with us. Should we be non-confrontational about that? In other words, we don't do anything, especially when it is actually something that's, that, that's wrong. We don't do anything about it or we, don't, or, or we don't face up to disagreements because we're too afraid of doing the wrong thing. You know what? God actually does not call us to non-confrontation. He calls us to confrontation. We'll see that in just a moment. Let's not become conceited, he says. Let's not turn it into a competition of one versus another. Let's not envy one another. But we do need to actually confront the things that are hard. And somehow, friends, somehow we need to have those conversations. Nothing gets sorted out without conversation. Nothing. Um, Should we have judgment? Anyone who sins, hang on. Um, I mean, that's, that's happened with frightening regularity through Christian history, where we judge so harshly he or she who sins. 
God's alternative to having that sort of judgment in the church, it's actually loving restoration. Sure, you don't accept something that's been done that's wrong, but the aim is never to judge. God's, God's aim is always to restore. Now, you know, like, it, it, it's not just to restore, and that just sounds like a nice principle. It's, it's so that whatever's happening that's causing the disturbance can hopefully stop and the brother or the sister or the people come back into right relationship not just with each other but with God should we have pride you know when you sin I get all proud because I haven't done anything as bad as you have at least that's what I tell myself now that's not the right attitude you should have humility God says because the thing is that I probably actually have done something just as bad as that and probably worse and if I haven't yet there's every chance that I will be and even if I didn't and even if I don't I'm still a sinner just like you maybe not so what attitude should we have in summary there that first question honest open realistic and loving humility yeah but now the action that we should take how do we try and get into this to work it out because this is god's word speaks directly to it chapter six first six verses here's what we need to do in the church when someone does the wrong thing and just check it out as we read it i just want to remind you that the carrying out of these instructions is not left up to the elders or the pastors or the church leaders it's actually left up to every one of us every one of us with no exceptions all right so the first thing that we do when someone especially when someone sins and they do the wrong thing look what it says restore that person in verse one my friends uh, paul starts out in other words he's calling special attention to what he's about to say he says if anyone now remember friends he's talking to christians he's speaking to people who are following jesus if anyone so you can read that then is if any jesus follower if any christian if any jesus follower is detected in a transgression he or she is is detected or your version might say caught it might mean that that person's caught red-handed might also mean that he's trespass itself actually just catches him out it's it's a transgression and that that word carries the idea of stumbling or falling so doing the wrong thing even if it is by stumbling or falling and remember too as we speak about this because because we're clear in our heads about whether someone else has sinned or not but whether the person has sinned that's often a bone of contention in itself you think he has she thinks he hasn't he doesn't think he has he thinks you have it's often a bone of contention who's sinned and who hasn't so let's be quite sure what we're addressing here it says any sin not just serious sins 
Not just, not just church leaders falling into moral sin. Not just socially unacceptable sins. Any sin. And we've said long and hard, you, you, you think in, in the history of churches and of Christians, if, if there is sexual sin, especially if it's with a leader, it's kind of like that's at the top of the tree. It doesn't get any worse than that. By goodness, if my sin happens to be gossip or pride, I can walk around with my head held high in church because one's socially unacceptable and one's not. So not just socially acceptable sins, any sin, and it includes gossip and slander. It includes unfaithfulness. It includes greed materialism, you name it, any sin, we really need to make sure this morning that we grasp that. We have an action to do. Every one of us has an action to do. Every time we become aware of our sin. So what do we do though? It says we restore. Now Paul talks about three things. Now the first thing, like what, what should be done? He says, restore him or her. Restore. The word, the Greek word means to mend or to repair. So you can find the same word in Matthew chapter 4, verse 21. It talks there about the fishermen mending their fishing nets, fixing them. And it was also, before it was used in the Bible, it was also a medical term. It was used in, in Greek secular language for resetting a broken bone. So just think that through. No anesthetics back in those days. Can you imagine the care that you go to in resetting a broken bone, getting that bone back into place, when there's no anaesthetic and no pain relief, does the doctor or the medical professional or the backyard doctor, do they grab hold of those skewed bones and then yell at them and tell them how wrong it was to get broken and then just wrench them back into the place? You, you think of the concept of, of medical care. And it's recent for me. Yesterday afternoon, after we finished our leadership community, was driving home, stopped in the petrol station to fill up with petrol, saw a car pull in, and I could tell, I mean, I could just tell there was something not right here, and the girl got out of the car, and she was upset and talking on the phone, and I looked, and I could see a guy slumped over in the front seat of the car, and I'm thinking, he's unconscious. So I sort of just waited around a bit, went over, and long story short, you know, I talked to this poor 19-year-old girl and the guy, like, and he, he, was, he was unconscious, all right, and he'd had an overdose of drugs. And so we, his mum arrives, we call the ambulance, we have two ambulances there, we're working, <laughs> and at one stage the ambulance officer says to me, look, it's not that I want you to get hit and not me, because they didn't, you know, they didn't know what was going to happen, he's a big guy, but he was totally unconscious. He said, would you be able to... What are those things called? Haley, you're the doctor, the nurse, the things that they stick on their chest. What's that? 
A what? You know the ECG, righto, whatever they are, those things, you know, the little, the little pad. I had to stick it on his chest. You know what? But, but you see, that, that whole thing, I'm looking, so we've got three ambulance officers and his mum and his girlfriend and me and everyone, and we're trying, and, and then I got a text last night to say that he, he, he was going to be all right, thankfully. Um, we're trying to help the guy. We're not doing anything that's bad for him. We're actually trying everything we can to help him. That's a very, very different picture to what we often see as people and in churches, isn't it? You really get the feeling sometimes, hey, we're, we're trying to help. Who should do it? It says, you who have received the Spirit, you who are spiritual. Um, you who are spiritual, that's people who are living by the Spirit. Who has the job of, of doing this? It's, it's just Christians. It's people who've got the Holy Spirit in them. That's who, that's who gets to do it. How should it be done? Restore him or her in a spirit of gentleness. Gentle, that's a masterful word in the Greek. It means mild friendliness. So it's a quality that's shown by friends and it's, and it's in contrast to the stern harshness that might be expected from an enemy. So when you confront me over my sin and pan that out to my disagreement or my weakness or my annoyance when you confront me about that so that you can restore me and get me back on track you do it God says as a gentle friend would do not as a stern enemy there's a big difference isn't there so that's the action. Restore him or her, you who are spiritual, gentle. But while you're doing that, be careful. You can look back at the first part of verse 1, but watch yourself or you may also be tempted. Paul uses a really strong word there, watch yourself. Skopone in the Greek language, it means to observe and to consider and to analyse. And it's in the present tense and what that means is that it's a continual, diligent attentiveness to your own purity while you're busy trying to restore others. That's big. You see, while I'm coming to restore you, I need to be very, very careful because two things can happen. I can get caught up in the very sin that I'm confronting you about. I can behave equally as badly as I'm alleging that you've been behaving, or even worse. I can include other people in it and get them to behave. You see what I mean? You be careful when you're doing this. Because if not, Satan, the enemy will slip in like a torpedo and he'll get you. That's why he says be careful. Anyway, don't just work to restore the person. That's not the end of it. Um, the next part is to maintain him or her. We're uh, running out of time and I'm going too long. So I'm going to skip over this quickly. Nick up there, if, if that's all right, doing the, the, uh, the screens. Bear, it just means 
To bear other people's, to, to bear means to carry with endurance. Burdens are heavy loads that are difficult to lift and carry. So Paul is saying here, any difficulty or problem that one of your brothers or sisters has trouble coping with, and in this context that includes any sin that your sister or brother is having trouble beating, especially the one that you just helped restore him or her from, help her with it. Help him with it. You see, in God's economy, your struggle with sin becomes my struggle with sin. Now look at this. When you bear another person's burdens, then you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ, he said, the new commandment I give to you, love one another just like I love you. And then the world will know that you're my disciples. Um, you look at verse 3 then. For it's, it starts out with 4. That's the reason to bear the burden of others. Bear one another's burdens. And here's why. This is really important. And we'll, and we'll finish up soon after we get this. All right? Look at this. Because he says, If those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. Greek. The Greek language is fascinating. All right? um, and it does more here, much more with this than what it does in English. It sets those things up as a direct contrast, and I've colour-coded them for you. It sets up, you see that? Those who, and here's the fact, they are, the fact is, they're nothing, but are is contrasted with they think they are, and nothing is contrasted with something. It's a really powerful phrase in the Greek language. They think they, they think they're something, but they're nothing. You see, we have that saying where we get our ambitions mixed up with our capabilities. So I have this higher view of myself, and that completely infects and infiltrates my way of looking to you and what's allegedly For the sake of time, we're going to finish up there. Let me just remind you, verse 5, it says, For all must carry their own loads. And I'll just say briefly, it's using a different word for, for burdens and loads here. And so it's saying we've all got to, we're all responsible for ourselves. Okay? For the sake of time, because we're going to just do some things together here, I think it's how would we do this what's the way that God designed when there are sins disagreements annoyances weaknesses what's the way that he designed it here it is come let's have a look let's just go first one is examine yourself Like I said, you know, the sense of justice is all about me. But examine yourself and pray. And we're going to look at that, that next week. Next thing, here it is. Um, and please, if you've heard me say this before, please don't let this wash over you today. This is really important. You need to arrange for time. And you need to speak. 
Please don't make fun of me, especially young people. When I say speak, I did not say text them. I didn't say email them. Speak. You need to speak to the person. Can I say it any more strongly? Friends, you need to speak to the person. It does not mean you need to text them. Please don't text them. You need to speak to them. And then when you speak, and sometimes people say, oh, but I'm scared. Sorry, I sound like I'm making fun of them. I'm scared. That person intimidates me. Okay, well, if that's the case, then, then get one of your friends to go with you. But still speak. You're going to have to speak. And then you start gently, but you name the sin or the problem or the weakness or the disagreement or the annoyance. But then instead of, here's what you've done, you're really bad. Now, listen, here's what I sense. Could I get your opinion on that? Ask their opinion. There's this famous saying. I've got it printed up and I keep it in my journal. It's not really famous. No one else has probably ever heard of it because I made it up. You know what the saying is? Nine times out of ten, there's an explanation that you don't yet know about. So ask for their opinion. Offer to help. And then follow up. Okay? We've got our conversation. And if you contrast that, what's up on the screen there now? If you contrast that with with what... We, we, we all know the way that we work as people. It's, that's not the natural way that we do this. When there's a problem, we go and speak to someone else about it. And then they speak to someone else about it. And, I, and so there's a number of conversations that are happening, but they're not with the person. And you've all played Chinese whispers and sounds like... The story's just growing and growing and growing and growing over there and truth is getting lost completely and meantime we're not talking to the person. The next little while, um, and I, I wonder if you could just listen in carefully. You don't have to participate in this. But I'm especially asking that you could help with, with one thing. Probably, I imagine, has quite a bit of time to come. Next half hour or so is the bit that I really want you to do. I really want this place to be quiet in, in your world. Okay? If you don't want to participate, if you want to just have a normal conversation with someone about, you know, whatever it is, that's fine, but could you do it out in the field? Oftentimes, when, I just know from experience that if we say that, it, it's kind of like people forget, and after a couple of minutes, everyone's just talking. You don't want to do that today, all right? Really, really help us. This place in here is for quiet, all right? And if you want to just chat, or you don't want to participate, just pop out in the foyer and 
talk with others out there and then in time you'll be able to grab a tea, a tea or a coffee and relax out there, okay? So we're not kicking you out, but we just want to keep this place quiet. Has everyone got that? Can you assure me? Good. Around the auditorium there are five chairs and, and, and on the chairs there's, there's little strips of cloth. And what I'd like to invite you to do today, remember you do not have to do it, what I'd like to invite you to do is to make your way to one of the chairs, to grab a strip of cloth, and I'm just going to demonstrate for you. I'll put the microphone down. Just place it over your hands like that. You don't have to do it in any particular way, but just place it over your hands, symbolic. And then just move slowly with that strip of cloth. cloth and as you do, the cloth is going to be representing for you a person or it might be a family it might also be a group you know like like a, a group of people who who are synonymous with a group they're a they're a small group they're a, a leadership group they're a pastoral team they're a, you know whatever like so it's you get that it's a person or a family or a group and you're thinking in this situation or in whatever situation you're in so if you're not a normal like sorry not a not you are normal if you if you're not a regular part of this church then then there will be other things in your life that this will apply to easily but you're thinking of a person or a group or a family who you would suspect that in this time, and if we're talking about our church, in this time in our church, that person, that family, that group has put up with a burden. they got a burden. And God's put that on your heart. That's what this is representing. It's the burden of someone else bearing one another's burdens. And then we'll move the things out of the way. Here's the cross. And yet... Um, there's lots of us, so it'll just take a little while. But just move with the burden and come down. And, and anywhere around here in this sort of radius around the cross, you know the saying that we have at the foot of the cross. At the foot of the cross. And so you would literally just bring the burden down, lay it down at the foot of the cross and pray for that person or that family or that group. There'll be some music that's playing while it's happening. You're welcome to, to do it at, at whatever pace you want. You may have to be patient. There may be a whole bunch of people up here and you'll just wait your turn to come up. That's okay too. You can linger. You can pray. You can talk with someone else. You can pray. You can do that any way you want. And just as one thing, and we didn't actually plan this, but I was just thinking of it. I wonder, um, Pastor Adam, could you... Why don't you just wait over somewhere near that chair? Where's is Pastor Noah? Do you reckon you could wait over in that chair over there, Noah? Um, and then Pastor Sammy, you might be able to wait at the one up the back. Is that okay? I'll wait down at this one. And then have we got... Oh, we, they're all men. They're all men. I'm putting you right on the spot. Would you mind if you just wait at the other one up there? It's sort of just up the other side of the door there. We'll just be there and we'll be happy just to pray with you. All right? 
we'll be happy to pray with you. You don't have to tell us anything. You don't, if you just say, look, could you pray for me? We'll be happy to pray with you. Oh, that's, I just thought of doing that right now. Does it make clear? I'll just say one more time so the music will play. Thanks for that, Gaz. Um, if you want to participate, remember you do not have to participate. No pressure. Make your way to one of the chairs. Grab a cloth, drape it over your arms. Just move slowly, purposefully, and, and pray for the person or the family or the group who you suspect is carrying a burden and ask Jesus to help them with that burden want to have prayer with one of our pastors or elder just approach that person and we'll pray with you and then just keep this place nice and quiet so when you're finished with that or if you're not participating at all just go out into the foyer and have a cup of tea and coffee all right thanks for listening god bless you